0: If you have your Bibles, so you can turn in them to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to be looking at Genesis 22 verses 1 through 18. Folks, listen. This is the word of Christ. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father? And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. This is God's word. I think this could be one of the most startling passages in all of the Bible. I think if you don't think that, you might not have been paying attention, or you might have just sort of skimmed the surface of it and failed to stop and see what's going on. How can this be? We hear what God asks Abraham to do, and if you're like me, you're dumbfounded. Right? How in the world could God ask Abraham to do this? You know, in other religions, when other religions do this, God condemns this practice as an abomination. In Ezekiel chapter 20, God says, when you present your gifts and offer up your children in fire, you defile yourselves. With idols to this day. In Leviticus chapter 20, it says that if you were to do this, that's a capital offense. You were to be stoned by the people. And yet, here, God commands it. What's going on? And then, it seems like this is the height of cruelty when you consider who is being asked to do this. Right? It's Abraham. Abraham, who at the age of 75, had no children. Right? Sarah, his wife, was 65, and she was barren. She was barren. They had no children. At that time, when he was 75, God came and promised him a son. God said, you're going to have a son. And through your son, Abraham, he said, you're going to be great. You were going to become a great nation. And through your son, God said, I'm going to bless the world. And so this set Abraham on a journey of faith. It set him out to begin to follow after God. And Abraham trusted. He followed God and he waited for God's promises to come true. Nine months passed and there was no child. Five years passed, and still no child. Ten years. Fifteen years pass, and Sarah gives up. Sarah gives up hope. She says, Abraham, let's try to do this another way. Now, God is present with them, but there's no son. Have you been there? Have you been there? Wanted something so bad? Only to have to wait? Well, finally, after 25 years, 25 years after the promise, Sarah gets pregnant and has a child. Finally, after 25 years, it's like, oh, the joy. Now, in Abraham's life, all of God's promises can come true, right? This is the key. His hopes and dreams are finally going to come true because the son of the promise is finally born. So how in the world could God say in verse 2, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice? There are some people who are shocked and horrified for Abraham and what he'll do in response to this. There are countless others who are shocked and horrified at God. The only thing that keeps me reading with any hope for Abraham or hope for trusting in God is verse 1. That it says, after these things, God tested Abraham. God was testing Abraham. I'm not sure that Abraham knows this was a test. Don't think he knew it was a test. But God knew. God had a plan. God had a plan. Because God was making Abraham ready to be a blessing to the nations. Okay? And when we step back and think about our ministry theme for the year, right? Our ministry theme, what we are aiming for, what our hearts are striving for this year is that we would be blessed to be a blessing to others. Right? We want to be what God wants Abraham to be, and that's a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And so this passage is gonna show us how God is working in Abraham's life. Also, he's, it's gonna show us how we can become a blessing to others. Okay, we're gonna see this in three ways. We're gonna see first the test, second, the passing grade. And then third, the results. So first, the test. The test. I hope that you've already begun to understand some of the struggle that this was for Abraham. You've got to think, when he started following after God, when he started this journey of faith, did he dream that it would lead to this? Maybe you felt that way. Where you've had this sense of if you're going to follow Jesus, it might mean that God's going to call you to sacrifice something that you didn't think you could live without. Right? Maybe there's a relationship, maybe particular behaviors, maybe there's an addiction in your life that you don't think you can live without. Your sexuality, the aspects of your career, and you're nervous. Because, you know, what if Jesus speaks into those areas of my life? What if Jesus calls me in those areas? And you have this sense that God might want something different for the direction of your life that you're currently heading. I think if you can connect with that, you can connect a little bit with what Abraham's going through. But for Abraham, it's even worse. Because what do you do when the thing that you want more than anything else in the world, God promises and gives you And then he asks for that back. Right? It's one thing if we know, All right, I really know I shouldn't be doing this. I really know I shouldn't have this in my life. But what if the one thing that you want most in life, God then comes and says, you can have it, it's a gift. And he gives it to you, and then all of a sudden he wants it back. When God gives you a blessing, you tend to think it's safe. But here with Abraham, God asks him for the ultimate sacrifice. God asks him for the incredible miracle that God gave him. And I think we see highlighted in this story the anguish that Abraham was experiencing. I mean, you see it in verse 3. After God tells him this, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning. Possible that this could be Abraham's super eagerness to obey God no matter what he says? Maybe. One author, Soren Kierkegaard, actually says that uh, chances are what happened was that Abraham could not sleep that night. As Abraham wrestled, did I hear it right? Is he sure? What is he thinking? And he, he tossed and he turned all night long. He couldn't get it out of his mind. And so the moment that the sun came up, the moment dawn began to break, Abraham says, okay, let's go. We're out of here. So he could be done fighting the demons in his mind about what he's about to do. Verse 4, it says, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. As awful as the journey was, this is the awful journey that Abraham wished would never, ever end. Because at the end, it's just going to get worse. Verse 5, he separates from his two servants. He says, stay here with the donkey, we're going to go. And it's interesting because these two servants, their sole purpose in this story, right, the only function that they serve in this story is that Abraham has to separate from them. It seems like it's a, a story, a literary reminder that Abraham has to do this all alone. And then there's Isaac's question that breaks the silence Of that three day journey, that frankly breaks your heart. Verse 7 Dad, here am I, my son. Dad, I see the fire, I see the wood. Where's the lamb that we're going to sacrifice? Every step of the way was anguish. Abraham was alone, with his servants, but alone, with his son, but alone, alone as he bound his son and was ready to sacrifice him to God. Why did God do this? Why would God do this? Verse 1 says it was a test. That in this, God is testing Abraham. He made these incredible promises. Right? Promises that through Abraham, the whole world would be changed. That through Abraham, everything in the world would be different. God was going to change the world through Abraham. And these promises that God gave to Abraham were free and Unconditional. But they required that Abraham become a certain kind of person. Okay, now this might startle some of us who are used to hearing about God's free grace. But this is how it works. If God is going to bless others through you, then he is going to make you into someone who will be a blessing to others. understand what i'm saying if god is going to use you to bless others then he is going to make you into the kind of person who will be a blessing to others in the book of deuteronomy in chapter 8 verse 2 there's a really important verse there when it comes to why god does this stuff to us in our lives why he enables us to go through these things Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you, these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So God tests you in ways that are not as extreme as Abraham but in ways that are quantitatively different, but qualitatively similar to Abraham. And he does this to test you to know what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so the ultimate test for Abraham, the ultimate test that will show whether Abraham can be a blessing to the nations or not is, will Abraham value God's gifts over God himself? That's the ultimate question that this test is designed to find out. Will God value, will Abraham value God's gifts and put those gifts above God himself? Will the gift become more important than the giver? This is the ultimate test for Abraham. And so this test asks the ultimate question. And if you, uh, in the blank there on, on that first Roman numeral, the blank that goes there is that the test asks you a question. And the question that every test asks you is, are you ready to bless others? Are you ready to bless others? Is God the most important thing in your life? Because for Abraham, this was the final key to all of God's promises coming true. Now, before we move on, there is one thing that keeps me and makes me able to trust God in the midst of a test like this. Okay, there is one thing that makes me able to, I don't want to say cut God slack, but helps me understand the thinking behind God. And it's this. It's this. As I read this story, I realize that God never asked Abraham, God never asks you to do anything that he himself Is not willing to do. In my mind, as much as Abraham was in anguish through this test, you got to know, you got to wonder was God experiencing anguish too because of what he would do someday? Because God too would take his son his only son, whom he loved. And God, too, would offer him as a sacrifice. And when the knife was brandished, in the case of Jesus, his son, there was no voice from heaven to stop it. You can see that Abraham's test in a sense, gave God an opportunity to see what it would be like for him to offer his own son in order to be a blessing to the world. And when I see that, when I see that, it helps me realize that God does have a plan in all this, that God does have wisdom that feeds even tests like these. And so this is the test. Let's look second at the passing grade. The passing grade on this test. Because what is God looking for? What's God looking for in one word? Obedience. He's looking for obedience. This is what verse 16 says. Look at it. This is super important that you see this. God said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. Do you see that's what it says? Underline that. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. And just to make sure that we don't miss it, he says it again in verse 18. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I'd underline that too. My guess is that some of you didn't even know that these verses were in the Bible. Obedience is exactly what Abraham offered. It's exactly what he offered, right? He put God first in his life, and it showed. It showed in his actions. He did exactly what God told him to do. And even in his words, because when he does speak, it shows that his actions are from the heart. He trusts God in the middle of this. Look at verse 5. What Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Verse 8, what he says to Isaac, he says, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Abraham obeyed from the heart. This is why the book of James Talks about Abraham in this way. In the book of James, it says in chapter 2, verses 21 to 24, it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? He's talking about this, what we're reading in Genesis. It says, You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What God was looking for, the passing grade, Abraham obeyed God. The passing grade asks us a question. This is what I want you to write there in the blanks on Roman numeral two. It asks us the question, will you obey to bless others? Okay, the test asks us, are you ready to be a blessing to others? The passing grade asks us, will you obey to bless others? Anybody frustrated or confused at this point? Anybody think I'm a heretic? Right? Because hold on a second. Up to this point, I thought all God's blessings were unconditional. In our last episode, when we saw Abraham just seven days ago, he was asleep. He was sleeping, and God was walking through the pieces. Of the animals. God was the one taking on the obligations of the covenant. God was the one committing. Abraham didn't do anything, he was asleep. We learn in Genesis 12 that God's blessings are based on his promises and his goodness and his faithfulness. It was repeated in Genesis 15. So now, is this passage saying that we have to obey to be blessed? Do we have to earn our salvation or is it a gift that's free? It's a free gift of grace. In Genesis 15, Abraham's faith was counted to him for righteousness. But here in Genesis 22, the blessings come because of his obedience. Do you see this in the text? Do you see it in verses 16 and 18? It's because you have obeyed my voice. Because you've not withheld your son, your only son. Okay, if you've got a problem, then You've got to look, this is what the verses say Okay, it's not me, it's the verses Okay, I just want to make that clear But what it comes down to Is which is it? Is it obedience or faith? Is it obedience or faith? If you say that it's obedience You've got to cut out Genesis 15 from your Bible But if you say it's faith You've got to cut out Genesis 22 What do we do? Obedience or faith? Obedience or faith? Well, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul solves the mystery for us. Okay, in Romans 1, verse 5, Paul brings obedience and faith together in what he calls the obedience of faith. Okay, Romans 1, 4, 6 is written there in your bulletin. Paul there says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the one through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. It's the obedience of faith. And I want to flesh this out a little bit more, because this is exactly what the book of Hebrews says about Abraham. In uh, in chapter 11, Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, it says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So where did Abraham's f- obedience come from? Right? How was Abraham able to obey God like this? Hebrews 11, 11, 17 says, it was by faith. It was by faith he offered up Isaac. Verse 19, he believed that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. And so Abraham's obedience wasn't separate from his faith. It came from his faith. It was an expression of his faith. It showed the genuineness of his faith. This is the obedience of faith. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And so let me be really, really super clear about this and how this works. Our relationship with God is forged and initiated by grace. We don't do anything to earn a relationship with God. We can't earn anything in our relationship with God. His blessings are a free gift to us because of his unmerited and undeserved love. But we experience his blessings in our lives when we walk in them. Okay? We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If you are trusting in Jesus today, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Do you experience every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? There's some days where we experience a few of the blessings, but there are blessings that you have that you don't even know about. Part of the life of following Jesus is discovering all of his blessings. And when you discover them, when you know his blessings, that's the key to experiencing them and walking in them. And if we don't understand his blessings, if we don't know what they are, if we don't, then we're not going to experience them. God gives us his blessings, but we won't experience them if we don't put them into practice. If we don't let our lives be influenced by them. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this really, really uh, succinctly. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the idea is that you work out what God works in. God fills you with his blessings, and then you work them out. And we work them out by the obedience that consists in faith. The obedience that flows from faith. This obedience of faith is what Abraham offered, and the obedience of faith is what passed God's test. Okay, and when we embrace this obedience of faith in our lives, it produces incredible, incredible results. Incredible results. This is our third point. The results. This is verse 18. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So you see here, it's the obedience of faith that Abraham offered that enabled him to be a blessing to others. Do you see how they're tied together in verse 18? In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham, you've obeyed my voice. Therefore, you are now ready to be a blessing to every other nation on earth. It's true for Abraham. It's true for us, too. The obedience of faith is a marker of spiritual growth and maturity. If you want to know how are you doing with your own personal spiritual maturity, you want to ask yourself, Do I see in my life the obedience of faith? Am I following Jesus? Am I obeying Him? Not in a way to try to earn something from Him, but am I obeying Him because of all that I have received from Him? Am I trusting in His promises for me and what He's done for me? Do I believe that I have all the blessings that come? Your obedience of faith turns your cup into a pitcher okay it turns your cup into a pitcher right you want to think about that Um, what's the difference between a cup and a pitcher right okay good yeah so here's a cup here's a pitcher and you're right the pitcher has a spout on it what else what's the other difference between a cup and a pitcher not always bigger. It's got a handle. That's right. The two differences between a cup and a pitcher are a handle and a spout. Handle and a spout. And it's interesting because it's the handle and the spout that actually enable you to pour in to others. Okay? So when the Bible talks about life with God... It says that God pours his blessings into us. And Psalm 23 says, he says, you anoint my head with oil, and he says, my cup runs over. I'm all for making a mess, but not an unnecessary one. I was about to fall over. So it says, you anoint my head with oil in Psalm 23, my cup runs over. Okay, so God fills us up to overflowing. Question. Have you ever tried to pour the contents of a relatively full cup into another cup? How does that go? It's awful, right? You're thinking, man, how am I going to do this? And you start to pour. You know, it depends on the cup. But look, like I'm trying to pour and it's barely, it's, I mean, you get the point, right? So, what is it for us? In cups spill, they make a mess when you're trying to pour into others. But when God turns us into a pitcher, right? When we become a pitcher and God fills us up, he still fills us up to overflowing. His blessings are abundant in our lives. Then God can pick us up. And it's easy to pour into the lives of others. who are these cups in your life? Yeah, who are they? Who are the people in your life that are near you, that God wants to use you to pour into them? That what you've received from God, he wants you to pour into others? If God's putting a name on your heart right now, write it down and begin to pray. But this is the difference. It's the handle and the spout, right? It makes it easy. How do we get a handle and a spout? How do we grow our handle and our spout? It's the obedience of faith. It's the obedience of faith. If you want to be a blessing to others, if you want to be, get better at pouring into others, you want to grow your handle and your spout, and you do that through the obedience of faith, let me, let me explain. So the obedience of faith grows your handle because it makes you available to God. Okay? When your life is characterized by the obedience of faith, you are available to God. God calls Abraham. Abraham, in verse 1, what does Abraham say? Here am I. Here am I. In verse 11, when God stops him, Abraham, Abraham, says, here am I. The obedience of faith grows your handle. It enables God to grab hold of your life and actually say, hey, you know what? I want you to come over here and bless this person. I want you to bless this person. You just have to show up. I'll take care of it as long as you're available to me. And we're available to God as we yield to him, as we follow him in the obedience of faith. Faithful obedience. Obedience of faith grows your spout because it's your experience of God that enables you to bless others. It's it's what you've received from God. As you walk in the obedience of faith, you will experience closeness with God. You'll have this sense of, I'm following after him. Or you'll have the sense of, you know, even when I fail, because I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Part of the obedience of faith includes confessing your sins. Okay? This isn't a situation where you leave behind confession. We all need the cross of Jesus every day in our lives, because none of us are perfect. We all fall short. Okay? So this isn't leaving confession behind. This is bringing it with us. It's part of the obedience of faith. Right? It's sometimes obeying in faith, and sometimes it's having faith that God will forgive our disobedience. Okay? Um, But when you experience God, that's what gives you the spout. Okay? It's your experiences of God in the the life of obedience of faith that gives you things. It tells you what to share. As you're talking to somebody, you get this sense of, oh, you know what? This person really needs to hear something that I've experienced from God, and you share with them. And it's your obedience of faith that grows your spout, that enables you to pour directly into the part of your friend or, your, or someone's life, someone else's life, with the blessings that you've received from God. It helps you to see opportunities and then to share those opportunities with others. And so the results ask us a question. Okay, and this is there for the blank, there on number three. The results ask us, Will you live as a blessing to others? Will you live as a blessing to others? The key, the key again, is the obedience of faith. If you say, yes, I want to be a blessing to others, then God says, okay, here's the handle, here's the spout. Walk with me. Trust me, follow me, and obey me. And watch what I will do in your life. What you do matters. God, in Genesis 12, 25 years ago, said, Abraham, I'm going to use you to bless all the families of the earth. And it took God 25 years of testing in Abraham's life to get to the place where Abraham was ready to deliver to others his faith and his relationship with God so that all the other nations of the earth could be blessed. It took Abraham 25 years to get to this point. But now he's there and God is ready to use him. Folks, God wants to use you. Every single one of you have people in your life who could use from you what God has poured in to your life. Who are they? As you think about them, realize that you need to think about him. The way that you can grow in your ability to be a blessing to others is to walk in the obedience of faith. Because that's how God will will, will train you and equip you so that you actually have something to share with someone else. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this image of a picture, I want so much for me. I want it so much for our whole church family. Lord, and I pray that as your spirit is poured out over us, that you would help us to trust you, that you would help us to realize that all the challenges, all the tests in our own lives are opportunities for us to grow and to become ready. Lord, we want to be ready so that you can use us to bless others. Father, speak to each one of us here today. Prompt us, Lord. What are the areas of our lives that we need to bring into the obedience of faith? Lord, how can we grow closer to you? I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be devoted to your word, that we would be committed to spending time with you. That takes faith, Lord. In my life, it takes faith to stop and say no to everything else just to spend time with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would draw us closer to yourself, that you would show us, Lord, as we draw close to you, that you would show us how you can use us in the lives of the people around us. Lord, these are our hearts. We want to offer them to you. And I pray also, Lord, that you would help each one of us to be devoted first and foremost to you, that everything else would be secondary to our love for you. Help us to walk with you, Lord, to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.